It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Locked On Thunder podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, is your host, Brady Trent. What is up, Thunder fans? Welcome to another edition of the Locked On Thunder podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Brady Trantham, and for the next 30 minutes or so, you're going to be Locked On Thunder. And if you can't tell by my voice, my goodness, I'm very sorry you have to sit here and listen to my allergies. Um, woke up today and just felt like I got hit by a Mack truck. I am very sorry, but tis the season, um, especially in Oklahoma, for allergies, colds, and stuff. So, Bear with me. Don't worry about it because after we get out, after we get past the uh, Nets game, you will hear part two of the conversation that I had from yesterday with the Oklahomans Barry Trammell. And if you still don't know who I am, I've been covering the Thunder since 2014 and since 2018 with 107.7 The Franchise, 107.9 in Tulsa. You can find all my Thunder stuff, columns, blogs, and all those things at thefranchiseok.com. You can find that uh, 2018-19 OKC Thunder versus the current 2019-20 Thunder play-by-play story that I wrote on Sunday, or um, actually wrote it over the weekend, put it out Sunday night, early Monday morning. Um, it's there for your reading pleasure. It's been getting a lot of good reviews, so please feel free to check it out. And then also later today, probably around the time this podcast drops, around noon or so, I'm going to uh, put out uh, the Russell Westbrook story that I'm writing. And it's like, yeah, everybody from Eric Horn, Maddie Lee, um, even Darnell Mayberry from The Athletic, who covers the Chicago Bulls, formerly covering the, the Oklahoma City Thunder for the Oklahoma for the Oklahoman, everybody's putting out their Russell Westbrook story. So um, I covered Russell in person for, for only three seasons, but they were the three seasons where he didn't have Kevin Durant, and this was his team. So I got to see, you know, I got to see a lot of Russell Westbrook from practice moments, um, locker room moments, walking through the hallway moments. Um, he's an interesting character, and, and if you're listening to this podcast, you know that better probably than most. So whenever that's put out, it'll be at thefranchiseok.com, and you can always find all my stuff much easier by following me on Twitter at Brady Does Sports, and I'll post articles, Thunder Thoughts during games, uh, my other podcast link, OKC82 that I do with Madison Morris, also of the franchise. Uh, we did the post-game show on the radio last night following the uh, Thunder victory in overtime against Brooklyn on the road. So that is up for your listening pleasure on the OKC82 podcast feed. Feel free to subscribe to that as well. Then also please tune in Saturday mornings for the Franchise Thunder Insider Show with John Ham, Jerry Ramsey, Madison Morris, and me. We talk about Thunder stuff, NBA stuff for two hours from 10 a.m. to noon. If you're out of the market, feel free to download 107.7 The Franchise's app. It's free, easy to use, and if you want to listen to more Hoops Talk, please, please give us a listen. And without further ado, let's get into last night's big win. So the Oklahoma City Thunder improved to 21 and 16 on the year, defeating the Brooklyn Nets on the road 111 to 103 in overtime. The Thunder moved to 4-0 in their overtime games this year. I mean, and it should make it should surprise nobody. This team is one of the more clutch teams in the NBA, and they certainly showed it last night. I mean, it, it was you know, first of all, it was a very sloppily played game. Uh, n- neither team cracked 50 at halftime. I believe that the score is 49-48 Oklahoma City. 
Uh, a lot of missed shots, a lot of missed opportunities, slow-going offenses, turnovers all over the place. I mean, the Thunder only had 15, Brooklyn 17. It just it just seemed like every time there was a fast-break opportunity for the game to get exciting, somebody would turn the ball over immediately. But as the game wore on, Brooklyn's ability to get easier, high, higher percentage shots over Oklahoma City, especially in a game where neither team is shooting well, it really started to rear its ugly head against the Thunder uh, late in the third quarter, early fourth quarter. The Nets outscored the Thunder by 20 in the paint, and you could tell. I mean, like I said, the Brooklyn Nets were just getting easier shots and making them. The Thunder were still having a hard time putting the ball through the hoop. The Thunder shot barely under 30% from the three-point line on 37 attempts, shot 41% from the field. Just really, really, really ugly throughout until Clutch Gene himself popped up out of nowhere. Chris Paul entering the fourth quarter. The man had eight points. He finished the game... With 28 points, 9 of 15 from the floor, 4 of 8 from 3, 6 assists, and just incredible. Chris Paul scored 20 points in the fourth quarter in overtime. He scored 16 points in the fourth quarter where he was just boom, 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 boom. It was so fun to watch. And I, I don't want to take the luster away from Chris Paul, but I do want to give a big shout out to guys like Hamadou Diallo and Abdul Nader. Hamadou Diallo hit probably the biggest shot of his career like that I can remember uh he only took one three he was one of four from the floor um the one shot he made was a corner three with about four minutes left in the in the game and the Thunder were down about seven at this point and it was looking like okay this game could very well go the opposite direction for Oklahoma City if they don't get a big bucket here Hamdu Diallo was all alone in the corner Chris Paul found him and he he hit it with that hitch. I mean, the hitch is still there, but Hamadou Diallo still drained that shot. And then about a few possessions later, Abdul Nader from the left elbow hit a big three, and it set the stage for Chris Paul to be in position to take the Thunder home, and that's exactly what he did. Um, fortunately for Chris Paul, the game was tied with about 30 seconds left. Chris Paul has the ball. He dribbled, dribbled, dribbles, and this is fine. You know, like If he's going to go iso ball, Especially after a fourth quarter he had, that's that's what you want. He's got the hot hand. He's done it all season. You let him go go to work. Unfortunately for Chris Paul, he lost the ball out of bounds going to the rim, and it allowed Brooklyn to have the final possession in a tie game. Fortunately for Oklahoma City, Spencer did what he just – I don't know what he was thinking. Spencer did what he kind of matched Chris Paul for a little bit in the fourth quarter, and I guess he just felt like, okay, I'm going to take the Nets home. And he missed a bad bank shot, a 13-footer, forcing overtime. And then Oklahoma City just dominated from then on out. I believe they outscored the Nets 10-2 to in the extra period. So another clutch performance by Oklahoma City. Another big win for Oklahoma City, uh, winning on the second out of a back-to-back without Danilo Gallinari, who was out with a right calf contusion, and without Nerlens Noel. And like we had talked about following the Philadelphia game, you don't have Nerlens Noel, that's going to affect your bench scoring, especially if Dennis Schroeder isn't going to be able to... Uh, score at the pace that he has been scoring in the last few weeks and he actually didn't do it do as well last night 14 points but it kind of fed into just the entire every player on the floor just had trouble putting the ball through the hoop except for Chris Paul Shea Gillis Alexander and Spencer Didwitty until late I mean even Spencer Didwitty had no I believe I don't even think he scored going into halftime so it was just a it was just a bad sloppy game by both teams until the fourth quarter and it became really exciting but yeah Schroeder 14 points really low output but again Hamadou Diallo Abdul Nader with big buckets Hami with finishes with six Abdul Nader with seven Mike Muscala with six who was just absolutely toyed with and destroyed by Jared Allen all throughout this game but Mike still kept coming still kept shooting like man 0 for 5 from the three-point line but he still had two shots two shot makes 
and hit both of his free throws. Six points for him. And even Deontay Burton, three points. Deontay Burton made some plays last night. He had a big block on Jared Allen at the rim. So when you're, again, when you're minus Nerlens Noel, who, I mean, he's nothing to write home about. He's not one of the best players in the league, but for the Thunder, he's very important. His eight to 12 points that he can score on any given night in addition to Dennis Schroeder's ability to get 18, 19, 20 points a game, I mean that's going to help your bench scoring against your opponent. When you when you don't have when you don't have Nerlens Noel, you need guys like Muscala, Nader, and Diallo to get some points, and they certainly did last night, and it helped the Thunder win the game in the end. When we get back, part two. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Of my conversation with the Oklahoman's Barry Trammell. Welcome back to the Locked On Thunder Podcast, everybody. Thank you so much for listening and again, if you missed yesterday's podcast, that was part one of the conversation with Barry Trammell. That one more so dealt with Russell Westbrook. So if you're interested in listening to that and you're just listening to today, go ahead and listen to that first one. But you don't need to listen to that one first. You can listen to either or in any order. It doesn't matter. But just wanted to throw that out there in case you missed it. But without further ado, part two of my conversation with Barry Trammell. I can straddle the line as like a native Oklahoman and somebody that covers the Thunder as not a fan. Russell Westbrook means a lot to the state. He means a lot to the, the history of sports in the state and kind of even transcends sports in a way because he was the first superstar to technically like, no, I want to stay here. And he put Oklahoma on his back. And for that, like as a native Oklahoman, I'm always going to remember that fondly. From a media perspective, I might have just a little bit of a different opinion. From a basketball standpoint, I'll have a different opinion, of course. But um, it's just it's so interesting because um, it kind of goes into a little bit of a, of a different topic. But we're kind of talking about this loosely, so I'll segue into this. But I'm just curious because I've been talking about this on this podcast for the last few weeks. Those Thunder teams, you know, with Russ Westbrook, Paul George, and then even back in the Kevin Durant days, you had your primary scorers, your, your guys that were going to put the ball through the hoop more times than not. And then you had a cast of characters that were, if you score, it's a bonus. We want you to defend only. We want you to rebound. So, like, the Thunder had a very one-dimensional identity, if, if you, like, really dug into their roster. <laughs> now, more times than not, they would just simply out-talent rest, the rest of the league because they just had generational superstars. I think that this Thunder team has the, the capability to build a foundation of guys that are versatile, have guys that are both um, two-way players, um, especially when you're, the face of your franchise is going to be Shea Gildas-Alexander with his length, his athleticism. Um, he can play both ways. He can rebound. He can facilitate. You can basically get away from, like the easiest way to describe this, you can get away from the desire to have an Andre Robertson or a Terrence Ferguson where we just want you to defend and stand in the corner. In my opinion, if the Thunder get away from that, they can become a better team, playing better team-winning basketball moving forward. I would agree with you. And while you were talking, you made me think of something that I thought of last night um, in, in during the uh, Sixer game. We're on the same wavelength. I like that. <laughs> first quarter. Here's the first quarter shots by the Thunder. Gallinari, who's might say is the best offensive player on the team. Maybe it's Schroeder. Consistent, I don't know. yeah. But whoever. 
He only Gallinari, he only took two shots in the first quarter. Steven Adams took four. SGA took four. Chris Paul took four. Dennis Schroeder took three. Uh, Diallo and Ferguson each took two. That's the kind – and that kind of ball distribute, distribution sort of held up. I forgot at halftime. It wasn't, wasn't too much – Chris CP had eight in, at halftime shots. SGA seven. Adams seven. Schroeder seven. Diallo five. And Gallinari, who should be taking the most shots, still only had four. <laughs> yeah. But my point is, you really don't know what's going to happen in a Thunder game this day, these days. Different people do different things on a night-to-night basis, and it goes back to that versatility thing you're talking about. I think that's a good thing. In the, the script didn't change the last the last three years, and you know you can separate the George years if you want to. But truthfully, the last ten years, the script didn't change. Yeah, it was this. Two same. guys were going to do everything, virtually everything, and everybody else is like you said, just role players. You know, putting their finger in the, in the, in the hole. So, to me, this is a this gives you more options. You know, the Thunder's won a bunch of games. And Gallinari was not very good. They they won some games when Chris Paul was not very good. They've won some games when SGA was missing in action. Yeah, that never had. If Russell Westbrook played bad, Thunder was sunk. Yeah. I mean, that's the hope. Is in just the, in, the, in the old days. That's just the hope that the franchise, like the identity, the roster, just becomes more fluid. Where you can just one night you can have Hamadou Diallo have 14 points, and then you look back at the game um, from a box, box score standpoint and go like, "Well, those those baseline cut dunks were very important because the Thunder won, you know, a, a tight game." Um, because you you can more times than not depend on SGA to give you 20 points a game at this point. You know, who knows what he can do the rest of his career but I mean to me that's that's just the desire like the Thunder have a good opportunity to hit the reset button in such a way that it doesn't have to be like the process Sixers in such a way that it doesn't have to be like Devin Booker with the Phoenix Suns where it's just like yeah go out there take about 30 shots get get buckets but you're gonna lose by 15 every single night you there is something important about teaching your young players how to win games meaningful games play meaningful basketball where you're not just getting blown out every night and I hope, you know, my, my hope is that Thunder is able to transition from this to even more competitive team without, you know, tanking, without taking a step back. Because the foundation, maybe that's the right word, or maybe there's an additional word, the foundation is stronger than we thought. You know, when... When Westbrook and George got traded, everybody loved the return on the SGA, on the Paul George trade. But they loved it for like a few years down right. the road. Yeah. And they, they understood the Westbrook trade. But we had no idea that it would, it would create such a f- solid foundation where the Thunder has – they've got five really good players. Now, Various ages, various contract situations. It's not like these five are going to be in the NBA Finals together in three yep. years, but it's a much it's a much higher level of of foundation than we ever thought possible. And to me, that gives Sam the opportunity to rece- sort of recalibrate. And I don't know that they have to totally tear everything down, um, particularly with all those draft picks. So, in other words, the. The, the strong play this season 
is fun for this season. But to me, it's also – it gives us hope that maybe maybe the, the rebuilding process doesn't have to be as – uh, long term, yeah. as maybe we thought. Yeah, and I, I go back to what Sam Presti told us in his um, um, introductory press conference when the season was beginning. He he told us like we expect to be playing meaningful basketball, <coughs> meaningful basketball. Excuse me. Um, at the end of the season, and at the time, Eric Horn was still with the Oklahoma, and he asked like, "What do, exactly do you mean by that? Do you mean getting into the playoffs, um, fighting for playoff contention, or?" getting young guys like meaningful reps what th- that they wouldn't otherwise have in the beginning of the year. And Sam, of course, didn't want to like go one way or the other. But you've got to think, like you kind of talked about, it, like Sam understood how good this team was like from the return. Yeah, and it, it all boils down to one thing. We should have known it. Everybody, there's no reason for no- anybody to not know it. Chris Paul is way better than we gave, in- gave him credit for. Yeah, he is. We, all, we knew he was a great player. We knew he was a superstar. We might say he's no longer a superstar, but if he's not, he's just barely below the superstar level. He's still an unbelievable player. He affects games in so many ways. I knew he was going to be a bulldog. I knew he was going to fight. I knew that losing was going to not be something he was the least bit interested in, but I had no idea that he could uh, lead a team like this. So, um, Sam, I think, knew the playoffs were possible. What he, I think what Sam didn't know was that the West might, you know, the the, the the bottom half of the West would sort of be much more mediocre than we thought. We thought Minnesota or New Orleans or Sacramento and those teams would be really solid and contend for a playoff. New Orleans has no excuse and, to be this or, bad. No, they don't. But, yeah. And and so, so the Thunder, you know, has sort of risen up to where now the playoffs seem likely, not just possible, but. Pro- not probable. Yeah. So, to me, it's a it's a fun season and it's sort of a rejuvenating season. But um, we'll see where it goes. I don't think Thunder can do much once they make the playoffs. They're going to run into one of the LA teams probably. Although, if you get to seventh, the Clippers might not be second. But anyway, it's going to be fun. It's sort of renewed our faith in basketball. You know, I, the way I like said Brady is this: even when George and Westbrook were here. They had two years – or George had two years left on his contract. Russ had the big – you know, he had four years left on the contract. In two years, you knew something untoward was going to happen. Either George is going to leave, but even if he stays, he's not the player he want, he was going to be or he had been. Westbrook was going to be aging. I don't know that Westbrook's going to age well. Not really aging well this season. No, he's not. <laughs> and that contract, when he's 34, he's. I don't think he's going to impact the game, say, the way that Chris Paul is. Winter was coming. If you're a – Yeah. What's, a, what's the uh, – Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Season, if you're a Game of Thrones – Season 8 was absolute trash, but go ahead. Winter, <laughs> winter was coming for the Thunder. And here's what happened. Sam Presti staved off winter, you know. Those two trades reinvigorated the future of the franchise. So, yeah, the Thunder is not not going to win the NBA title, not going to challenge for an NBA title. But the truth is, you you said it. They weren't going to win one anyway. They yeah. weren't going to threaten to win one. Let's say you keep those two those two guys. They're going to 
Yeah, the is Lakers Mike, are Mike Muscala and Alec Burks going to put that yeah. team over the hump? The no. answer is no, 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 no. So it's been a fun thing. They've reinvigorated the the franchise, and we can really sort of enjoy this whole notion of the Thunder's got a chance to to stay pretty relevant. Yeah, and like I'm really curious, and we're not going to know two or three years from now, but like the hope is, like if you're Sam Presti and the Thunder, that when Chris Paul is ultimately traded like and I've, I've said on this podcast and I don't know what your personal opinion is on the matter but um, I'm still of the opinion that he's probably going to finish the season out with the Thunder at the very earliest like if you had to put a true serum in me he's probably going to get moved draft night that would be my guess I have no I have no evidence to support that it's just a gut feeling um, but the hope is is whenever that day ultimately comes that Shea no longer really needs that leadership and that men- mentorship from Chris and that he carries that on um, because we don't know, like as excited as Thunder fans are for Shea Gilles Alexander, and he certainly gives them a lot of a lot of reason to be excited, we don't know what Shea Gilles Alexander is as a primary, this is my team. Because with the Clippers, he was the third, fourth, sometimes even the fifth scoring option. Uh, this Thunder team, Chris Paul's told us in the locker room that they want Shea to be that guy but you still have Chris Paul there as a steady force that you can depend upon. We don't know what Shea can do as that guy, and I guess that's just the fear. Now, like I'll, I'll use like an OU football um, uh, comparison. I, I have no doubt Spencer Rattler, their five-star quarterback, is extremely talented, but we have no idea how he handles the responsibility yeah, of being true. QB1 at the University of Oklahoma. There's no. so much more to oh, yeah. it than just the talent. So I, I guess like an around – like. I kind of rambled like are you confident that Shay like his personality trait the way that he plays basketball are you confident that when that day comes where it's his team that it's just kind of a seamless like evolution with him and the Thunder yeah I so much of it is dependent upon that Chris Paul trade really the, the Sam Presti you know he did that he gave us those three re's back in the summer. Re- reposition pos- and replenish. Replenish, re- reposition, replenish, and then rebuild. There you go. And we kept thinking, what's he talking about? The <laughs> rebuilding has started. But what he meant was this, and now I get it. I didn't get it at the time. I get it now. The rebuilding, which he really means sort of tear down to whatever degree. I hope it's not much. Yeah, it might be. He likes. Where Hami and Darius are starting. Like yes, the, yes. Most yes. of your 82 oh, oh, games. Boy. Whoop, oh, boy. But anyway. <laughs> That really doesn't start until Chris Paul is gone. Yeah. Because there's not any – I mean, like, you got Chris Paul on the court, you're not going to win 24 games in a season. You're going to win a lot more than that. I'm starting to think Chris Paul might be a long-timer. He's going to – I mean, I trading think- Chris Paul is difficult. There's so much money, and he's – as much as we love him, he's getting old. He's going to be 35 next season. And I just – I mean, you, you could be right. And, heck, they might find somebody this week. But – I mean, the reason why is, is it, from my standpoint, it seems like teams get desperate at the trade deadline and yeah. then on draft night. Where no, they're they more yeah. willing to buy what yeah, they're trying the, to sell. You're them. right. Yeah. It's, it's, dead, it's deadline. You're right. Um, the market is – pretty tight though the teams that really are serious about winning big that's really the only reason you'd trade for chris paul if you're i don't know chicago or orlando you don't know what's the point yeah 
But if you're – I mean, the Thunder would never have traded for Chris Paul no. if yeah. it hadn't been just a, a nice match for Westbrook's contract. So the teams that we're talking about serious about winning are not that many. And those teams are gearing up for the big free agents, you know, surplus of 21. Yeah. So, I mean, he might be traded, but I just want to toss out the possibility that Chris Paul could finish out his contract two and a half more years with the Thunder. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Would, yeah. not, would not shock me at all if that happened. Uh, it wouldn't shock me either, but like the team that I keep like focusing on is, like I'm really interested to see what Milwaukee does. Milwaukee's the, the team. The, the rest of the season and then the playoffs. Like, let's say that they flame out in the second round and Milwaukee's front office is a fearful that okay we might lose Giannis when his time comes Chris Paul helps that he no helps doubt you. about it no he, doubt about it the problem is, is for that to happen the Thunder probably have to take on Eric Bledsoe and I don't know how that affects the reposition the replenishing and the rebuilding it like to me it kind of doesn't delay it it just makes it worse because yeah. Eric Bledsoe is what he is he's a ball stopping yeah athletic guy yeah. Not um, very conducive to team basketball, but no. that's the one team that I, I can foresee. But well, Milwaukee could use Chris Paul. Of course, every team could. The Lakers could use Chris Paul. Uh, the Lakers might have traded for him already if they had anything to offer. Miami was much better than we thought going oh, into the Oh, Miami killed the Chris Paul market. Yeah. I mean, that was – they're so dang good, for crying out loud. They, we kept thinking, well, they're going to trade for Chris Paul or Westbrook before that trade. And then if they can't get them, they'll they'll go over the free agent market in 21 for something big. They may not. I mean, they're so good. They don't even need that. They could win the East with what they've got. Yeah. So, but anyway, I get what I'm saying is the market for CP has sort of thinned. And the results in OKC are great. Even forget the win-loss. Just having him around has been a boon for this team. Not just SGA, but I think for everybody. Think about how... Think about how the locker room has changed, and the, it's not as hot in there. Just everything. It's just, you know, the mood is lighter everywhere. Look yeah. at the post game, the television post game interviews. They're like a a comedy show every night. Yeah, with guys coming by and clowning around and shrewders, you know, photo bombs everybody. And uh, Stephen Adams is on there more than once a year, and it's just. It, the whole mood is lighter, and I think, I think Chris Paul's a big reason for that. Now, you know, you could 
you know, Mussolini could got it traded for Westbrook and lighten the mood. <laughs> I mean, it, th- this but, season is a palate cleanser. Yes. No doubt for this franchise. Yes. But um, a few more things are get you out of here, Barry. Um, and th- these are kind of deep cuts because, we, like, we've talked about Shea Gills Alexander in this podcast a lot. I mean, anytime you talk about the Thunder, you're going to talk about Chris Paul, Shea Gills Alexander. Um, but something that I've been interested in because it kind of goes back into the Thunder, like, transitioning into a more fluid roster, like, as a team philosophy. Like, where does. And it's still way too early, even for Hamadou Diall. But where do you see Hamadou Diall and, and Darius Baisley in that equation? Like, have you seen enough from Darius Baisley to go, there's something there? Because in my opinion, like, I saw him in person at Summer League, and he really wowed me there because I, like, wow, he he's not that raw as I thought he would be not playing college basketball or uh, pro overseas. And Hami has made such improvements from the offseason from the defensive end um, of the floor that it gives me hope that, Maybe someday the light bulb will come on from his jump shot. I don't know because that hitch is like very visible. Um, but just from what you've seen, like do do they give you hope that they can be good pieces for this team moving forward? Yes, to both. More so with Baisley. Yeah. Um, like like point forward is written all over him. He's very skilled, but I love his defense. I mean, he doesn't know what he's doing, and yet he's still an effective defender. Yeah. Blocking shots, you know, Monday night he takes that – he stays down and takes that charge. I think it was the fifth foul or on uh, on uh, Tobias Harris. Uh, took one right in the chops. And he just – he seems to know what he's doing. Uh, I mean, he seems to have the skills to know what he's doing on defense. I think he's going to be a really good defender. And he's very skilled on offense. Now, his shot selection – not always, but the kid's 19 years old and didn't play yeah. for a college coach. The one need, thing a college, need. one thing college coach will do is teach you the definition of a good shot. You may not, you may not follow it, but you'll know it. And he yep. didn't have that, so Billy's trying to teach that to him. Um, his shot's not bad. I think he's shooting 32 percent from three point range. And there's no hitch, so like you, right, it's not. You're right. There's yeah. a foundation that that'll improve with and more. Going experience. to the hoop, he's not bad. Passing, he's very good. He's got a lot of skill. I think he could be a really good player. Diallo's jump shot does not seem fixable. Yeah. Um, the, the thing for me on Diallo, though, is you compare him to a guy like Andre Robertson or Terrence Ferguson. Terrence Ferguson has a more fluid jump shot, although Terrence Ferguson seems to have huge problems putting the ball through the hoop on a consistent sta- um, from a consistent standpoint. Hami understands that and at least tries to score unconventionally, whereas yes. you would think Terrence would have that same mentality because – like, I don't know who's more athletic, Terrence or Hamadou Diallo. No, that's a good point. They're extremely athletic, but Terrence tries to score conventionally. He's just not good enough to do it. He needs to be more aggressive. He's not strong around the basket. Diallo finds more, and I don't know if this is structural, strategic, but Diallo finds more fast break opportunities than Ferguson does. Ferguson's hardly ever out on the fast break. Maybe he's rebounding. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, but you're right. The Ferguson needs to – to me, Ferguson is still a good prospect, but I'm not as excited as I was two months ago. His three-point shooting took a big leap last year. Now it's fallen back, and that's not good. And he's gotten plenty of opportunity. He does have to find other ways to score. I know this. The Thunder wants him to be more aggressive. They do not want him to be a standout and wait for the ball to be thrown to you so you can shoot, shoot a three. Yeah. They want him to do other things. So far, he hasn't done much of that. Yeah, like I, I don't know if you were in pregame availability. I can't. I can't remember what game it was for. Um, I think it was the last home game. Um, but I asked Billy, like basically, like 
Darius going through his rookie season and potentially hitting the rookie wall, like what are the differences that you're seeing with him as opposed to Hami when he started off the year really exciting and then hit a wall? And Billy just straight up said, Hami is elite at two things, like last year, like running the floor and transition and offensive rebounding. So it's easier to take away less and uh, less and least amount of things. Whereas Darius in his words is good at a lot of different things. He can do pretty much anything that we ask him to do. So it's harder to take those things away. So like to me, that just screams like that guy is for sure a part of the future. And like, I feel a little bit vindicated going back into summer league going, I don't know if he's just going to play with the G league guys. Like there's something here with Darius and you see it like in a like game by game standpoint where he 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 understands what he's flawed at or what teams are like throwing at him defensively. He'd always pump fake and dribble left, and now he pump fakes, fakes left, and then dribbles to the right. Now half the time he trips over himself. But to me, that is so important in a, in a play, young player's development is when they identify what's wrong with them and they still try to make improvements. And for a 19-year-old rookie, that is so mature. Yeah, I like what I've seen out of Baisley. Yeah, I did not like the story. When they drafted him, I didn't like a guy. For that team, it made no I sense. I didn't like a guy. I did not like a guy who set out college and didn't play. It's one thing if you like Ferguson, go to Australia or G League, wherever, go do something. He didn't play. He went to was it New ba- He went to New Balance as an intern. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I have no idea what that would. Um, he worked out with uh, Mike Miller though. But um, so I didn't. You know, I didn't like that. But after seeing him play, I have to say, I thought I think it's a good draft pick. Picking was it twenty third or twenty fourth? Yeah, like and th- and and it's a really you know we we compare him a lot to Brandon Clark at Memphis because you know they, they basically were, got traded for each other. Yeah. So. Uh, and it's weird because Brandon Clark makes more sense for a Paul George Russell Westbrook right, team because right. he can immediately help you with his age. Right. He's twenty three or twenty four, and he's playing great for the Grizzlies. He scored. He's averaged about twenty points a game against the Thunder, <laughs> but. <laughs> Clearly, the upside for Baisley is really high. Yeah. So I don't think he's going to be a star. I don't. I don't know how you know. I don't know how to identify stars before they become stars. But he's going to be a good player. I tell you, one thing we have not mentioned. One thing he's been doing the last three weeks, he's been rebounding like a madman. Yeah. And he's a, he's a big time rebound. You can tell. The ball doesn't just come to him, and he grabs it. I mean, he goes and gets rebounds. He's an and aggressive player. He's not I'd shy. Like that. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's one thing I always look for in rookies is how shy are you? Like, I didn't think Hamid Yellow was shy. I actually didn't think Terrence Ferguson as a rookie was shy because with his frame and size, yeah, he should be shy running through screens. But, man, he is fearless when he's, like, trying to chase somebody. He's just a little shy when he's got the ball in his hands, and that's a different story. But um, one more play before I get you out of here, Barry. Uh, Steven Adams, um, who was connected to the Atlanta Hawks a few weeks ago from the Athletic. that And I, the wording was so silly. There have been conversations that, oh, yeah, we would like to have Steven Adams. Any team would love to have Every Steven team Adams. on earth. It's like there's, there's no breaking news there. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, the Boston Celtics – might trade their team logo and their and their <laughs> franchise colors for Stephen Adams. They might really let us be the Oklahoma City Celtics and have the parquet floor and the Kelly green. They really might do that for Stephen Adams. Well, my question to you is, do you do that if you're Sam Presti? Especially if you can't move Chris Paul this year and you know that right now because Sam knows what he can and cannot do. If you know that Danilo Gallinari is going to be a sign-and-trade guy as the, after the season ends, so he stays with the Thunder. 
you trade Steven Adams, not just for the short term, but you lose him for Shea and Hami and Darius. And whoever you draft in the next few years, you lose that culture setter. And he's not just Nick Collison where he's a culture yeah. setter. He's a good player on the floor. Yes. He helps you win basketball he games. He makes – I would not trade Steven Adams. I would not trade the uh, air pump that pumps up the basketballs. <laughs> I would not trade the uh, lights in the Chesapeake Arena, and I would not trade Steven Adams. You have to have all three to play basketball, in my opinion. <laughs> a, a, a team, a Thunder team without Steven Adams looks like nuclear winner to me. Oh, yeah. Um, so – Here's what, and here's what I think. I looked it up today. Steven Adams is 26 years old. I don't know when the Thunder's going to be good again. They, they, great. I don't know when the Thunder's going to be great again. Maybe never. The answer might be never. Yeah. But it's not possible to think they couldn't be great again in a few years. Get a little draft luck, a little lottery luck. They certainly got a, bought a lot of lottery tickets. You know, Make a trade or two that works out well. Steven Adams could still be your center on those teams. Yeah. And, and At age 30, he could still be. And probably on a more affordable deal. Yeah. He's, I not, mean, he's not right. getting more In money. In summer of 21, he's going to re-sign, and he's not going to be making $25 million. Even, yeah. You know, 15 or 12 or four, whatever it is. And Steven Adams is a winning ball player. So, my hope is Steven Adams does not get traded. Now, the Celtics want to trade Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown? Well, maybe you have to do it. But, you know, for the teams that really want to – I mean, the Hawks are just kicking tires. They don't know what they're doing. So, Which is a shame. But. Yeah, but but um, I'm hopeful that Steven Adams stays. I'm hopeful that Steven Adams stays. Well, Barry, um, thank you so much for jumping on the Locked on Thunder podcast. I really appreciate it. I've always wanted to have you on um, or just do a podcast with you. So this is uh, this is this is awesome. Well, I enjoyed it. Uh, th- Thunder is always fun to talk about. There's never uh, never a dull ne- moment. Th- there's Thunder. always something to talk about with the Oklahoma City Thunder. E- even when you think like when we th- this offseason, like, yeah, they're they're going to start trading people. This team's going to be bad. Like, no, like Sam Pressy just. He just well, never and, wants us to get a good Well, and sleep. think about it. Last June, the at least my theme was, well, for once, we're going to have a quiet summer. <laughs> and then we had the wildest summer of all. Oh, my God. And then I thought, well, you know, this team, you know, on the Oklahoma, and there were six of us, I think, or four or five. Ever how many picked, we picked, made predictions for the season. I was the highest on wins for the Thunder. And I said 38 with the caveat of every month – that Chris Paul is gone but via trade, take a win away. So if he's yeah. traded in February, 36 wins. Traded in January, 35 wins. Well, the Thunder's going to go way past 38. Yeah. So um, it's a it's a fabulous season. I hope everybody enjoys it. Anything you're looking forward to Thursday night? Um, I'm really mostly looking forward to how much Westbrook is jacked up. I think that could work in the Thunder's favor. I think he could emotional. He could be go. <laughs> he, he could be due for one of those one of twelve nights three point shooting. Um, he, he didn't triple double against the Thunder back in Houston back in the beginning of the season. So I mean, that's certainly on the table. He's going to be wild. He, he it's going to be wild because the fans will have him jacked up because they're going to be cheering him and everything. He could get emotional. That's going to be know, awkward. I, I wonder how Chris Paul is going to like. Chris is smart. Like he probably he get, should he understand. It. He that. gets it. Yeah, he gets it. But still, like yeah, when you know, let me tell you what's going to go through Chris Paul's mind in pregame. 
How can I work this to my advantage? There you go. It'd probably be in Westbrook's ear the whole night saying, shoot it, shoot it. They want you to shoot it. Yeah. Your fans want you to shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> Take another three, Russ. Yeah. <laughs> the fans demand it. Awesome. Well, Barry, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. You bet. It. And that'll wrap it up for today, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Locked On Thunder podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I really, really appreciate it. The Thunder were off today, no practice on Wednesday. So I assume they will shoot around tomorrow morning, but they very well might not. Um, The Rockets come to town. Russell Westbrook is returning to Oklahoma City. I'm excited for that event. And Saturday and Friday night at the Tower Theater on 23rd Street, uh, Russell Westbrook's friend, and Comedian Juice is going to be doing a show at the Tower Theater. I'm fairly certain Russell Westbrook will be there. Um, I've seen Juice live before. Very talented comedian, very fun. And if if you're around 23rd Street, and I live around 23rd Street, so it's not that far of a walk or drive for me, so... Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'll go cover it, do some media stuff, and then probably go sit and enjoy. And then the following night in Oklahoma City at the Chesapeake Energy Arena, the Los Angeles Lakers come to town. And fortunately, Anthony Davis will be making the trip. He had a really scary fall last night late in their game against the Knicks. And it seemed the, the initial reports was that were that he was going to uh, stay behind on the Lakers' two-game road trip, which included Oklahoma City. But the x-rays this morning came back negative, and he's okay to come. I don't know if he'll play, but he'll at least be in town and available to play. So that should be a fun, fun game Saturday night, too, as well. So it's going to be a great week of basketball, great week of basketball for Oklahoma City. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. But everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Locked on Thunder podcast. I'll talk to you later. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.